0: starting in verse 22 Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds And after he had dismissed the crowds and went and after he had dismissed the crowds he went up on the mountain by himself to pray When evening came he was there alone But the boat by this time was a long long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out His hand and took hold of Him, saying to Him, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Father, we ask this morning, that You would help us understand Your Word. That Your Spirit would come upon us afresh. And that we would leave worshiping You all the more, seeing how magnificent Your Son Jesus is. For those who are weary, would You show them the bigness of Your Son? For those who are backslidden, would you show them the bigness of your Son? And for those whose hearts are hard and who are far from you, would you show them the bigness of your Son? It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our passage this morning, we're seeing something unique happening here. We're seeing up to this point the only time that the disciples worship Jesus after seeing a miracle. Have you noticed that at all? That miracle after miracle that Jesus has performed, not once does our passage show us that his disciples worshipped him. And the key question to ask is why do they worship him which we will see which once again is the only place we see the disciples in one accord say this is the son of god As the multitude was fed Jesus immediately sends his disciples on their way as Jesus then disperses the crowds. He goes up to the mountain to have some alone time, some communion, some fellowship with the Father, and prays all night. In the early hours of the morning, as the disciples are out at sea, fighting a storm, trying to make it to the other side, Jesus is seen walking on the water. The disciples cry out in fear. It's a ghost. They're trying to make sense of what's going on they're afraid, they're scared, and Jesus calls out saying, take courage. Take heart. It's me. And so then Peter immediately, in his very Peter-like fashion, says, okay, Jesus, if this is you, call me out onto the water. Jesus calls him out. And as he gets to Jesus, Peter then is overwhelmed with the waves and the wind and starts to sink. As he sinks, he calls out to Jesus to save him and immediately Jesus saves him. And as they get into the boat, the winds die down and there's a calmness. And they worship Jesus saying, truly this is the Son of God. And as they reach the shore, we see only more of the confirmation that this truly is the Son of God, by Him continuing to heal the sick, by them just touching the fringe of His garment. I remember a while ago now when I had first started reading the pastor Charles Spurgeon. One of his sermons starts out with this clever, yet I think very important sentence, which I think is true. He says, all God's children will experience affliction. But not all who are afflicted are God's children. Doesn't there seem to be a misunderstanding in our world? Maybe in your life. I know at one point in my life, for sure, about the role of affliction and suffering. We almost see affliction and suffering as... A fundamental problem. Which, technically, you could say it is. Because suffering is from sin. But we tend to look at it not as their sin, but as something like, my spouse isn't fulfilling me anymore like they once used to fulfill me. They caused my suffering, therefore... They're the problem, and if I just get rid of the problem and find my soulmate, then I'll never have an argument again. My boss isn't being fair. This must mean this isn't the right job and what I was created to do. I'm suffering. This is the problem. If I just find the right job, to have, then I will no longer suffer or have any problems. And then, then I'll be satisfied. I think that suffering and affliction in the Christian's life is to produce something. I think we see this here in this passage this morning. Through the storm, the disciples understand who Jesus is. Could it be that through your suffering and affliction, God wants you to understand who He is better? Let's take a look at this in our passage this morning. And and we'll see this in in three ways this morning. We'll see that Jesus has a plan. Verses 22-24. through It's the first point, the plan. The second point is the purpose, verses 25 through 33. And then the third point, the proof, verses 34 through 36. Let's look at verses 22 through 24. Immediately, It's almost as if Matthew was reading the Gospel according to Mark because we see this very important word, and I want to stress very important, maybe it's just very important because I see it as one of the most incredible words in the Gospels. Immediately. Mark uses the word immediately all the time, and I love it. Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side. And we need to put some guardrails around this, some context, and understand what's going on here. If we were to go to the Gospel according to John, we see a fuller picture of what's going on here. After Jesus fed the 5,000, the crowds were actually coming in and approaching Him, trying to make Him this earthly king. And upon seeing this, knowing that it was not His time, and He did not come to be an earthly king, But the king of kings, an eternal king, he sends the disciples off immediately as he dismisses the crowds. Why would Jesus feel the urgency to immediately dismiss the disciples? Because he has a plan. And this plan has a purpose. But before we get to the purpose, let's continue to look at this. As he dismisses the crowds then, he goes up onto a mountain to be by himself to pray. So finally, after a full day's work, Jesus is able to do what he has come to do. He has come to be alone with the Father and pray. I don't know if you're one of those who say because God knows all things, I don't have to pray. I hope this is enough of an argument for you to show you that you should pray. Jesus prayed. What did Jesus pray about? Well, our passage doesn't tell us, but we can be almost sure to know that He probably prayed for the disciples. He prayed for... His ministry. To be faithful to the end. He spent time in communion with the Father. In silence and solitude. Being nourished through prayer. He went there alone. Nobody else. A time of intimate fellowship. The Son and the Father. I wonder if you take intimate times of fellowship with the Father. Times of silence and solitude, going before Him, worshiping Him through prayer. Talking with Him. Giving him what you have, what's on your heart, not trying to make anything fancy or proper, but quite literally bringing to the Father what is on your heart. We see that this is what Jesus models. But there's an interesting part of this section, isn't there? As we come to verse 24, Matthew wants us to know something. He wants us to see that the boat is nowhere near the shore. John actually tells us that the boat's probably three to four miles off of shore. So it's not as Jesus just walked on the shore and was able to get into the boat. No, the boat was off the shore. It was nowhere close to the shore. It was far from the shore. But not only was it far from the shore, there was a storm going on. boat was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. The plan. What do we see going on here? Do you remember the last time the disciples were in the boat? Are you familiar with what took place as they were in the boat and Jesus was sleeping? Jesus was with them that time. This time, Jesus is on the shore. The last time as Jesus was sleeping in the boat, there was a storm that was raging on. And the disciples cried out, knowing that Jesus was there to help. They cried out saying, Help us! What do they do now? Jesus is nowhere in sight. It seems that it's up to them. It seems as this storm rages on that they're alone. But This is a part of Jesus' plan. When I was coaching... I intentionally, maybe this was wrong of me, I intentionally at the end of practice had the players shoot free throws that I knew would force them to run a lot. And I had an intention behind it. There was a a plan and a purpose. The plan was to create such a debt to show them that this debt was so incredible, incredibly uh, uh, huge that it would kill them. <laughs> I remember one of the players, as we went through, the, the drill was to shoot free throws. And every free throw that you missed is how much you had to run. And we lined. I lined up the, the players. There was 12 players and it went 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So the person who was 1 when they shot a free throw and if they missed it, that would be 1 down and back. Then if you missed 2, the person who was the number 2, if they missed their 1 free throw, it was 2. So, Potentially, you're running about 30 down and backs the length of a basketball court. And I think one player made a shot. And I remember one of the kids' mouths opening up, you're going to kill us, coach. And so as they ran back and forth, when they got to about the 10th lap, I told them to bring it in and I explained what mercy was. How it would be just of me to continue to allow you to run back and forth, but instead, I would like to show you mercy. You see, there was a plan behind what I wanted to do. There was a purpose And because there was a purpose, there was a plan. Why would Jesus send the disciples into a storm? I wonder if in your suffering, you've ever asked yourself that same question. Jesus, why would you allow me to suffer? Why would you send this storm What is the point? This seems unfair. You're going to kill me. It's because Jesus is about to show the disciples who He is. It is a great truth that the Lord sovereignly Puts his children in trials of various kinds with the outcome of a better understanding of who he is. Look at Jacob, who wrestles with God because he's fearful of his brother Esau. Look at Joseph, who is thrown into a pit by his brothers sold into slavery, accused by Potiphar's wife, forgotten in prison, and yet when he is confronted or sees his brothers again, he is able to say what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What is the point of the book of Job, if not this? That the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord as we get to the final few chapters of Job and we see God asking, Job, were you there? And Job's response at the end is nothing other than worshiping God because of a better understanding of who he is. When we are met with trials of various kinds, the the purification process that goes on is to help us to better understand who God is. Maybe it's to see God's faithfulness more clearly. Maybe it's to see that He truly is a merciful God. Maybe it's to see that He is mighty and powerful over your enemies. But here is his plan. His plan is to show his disciples who he is that leads his disciples to an incredible statement. So let's move on and see the the purpose behind this plan. It was the fourth watch of the night. This is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And the disciples or he he came to them walking on the sea, but When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. The disciples were scared. Can you fault them for being scared? Here are grown men, a handful of them, fishermen, who have sailed this sea countless of times, who have been in storms, and they're stuck. The waves are beating in. They can't continue to move forward. They're stuck. They're scared. They're terrified. And when they see Jesus, they automatically assume it's a ghost, which causes them even more fear. Why would they think Jesus is a ghost? They would think Jesus is a ghost because it was modern for that time. It was It was was common for people to think that if somebody had died in that area, that a ghost would haunt it. And so they think that Jesus is a ghost. But there's a purpose behind what Jesus is doing. Let's remember that. Here's the word again. Do you remember the word that I said was very important for us this morning? As they call out, fearing that this is a ghost, what does Matthew say? Immediately. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart. Immediately in this storm, as they see Jesus and they think that he's a ghost, he immediately what? He immediately reassures them. He comforts them. As the waves are rolling over their boat, as they're going back and forth, the wind is hitting their faces and they see this what they think is a ghost, He immediately speaks and says, Take heart, take courage, be full of courage. It is I. Do not fear. Here's one of the purposes behind the plan of Jesus this first purpose is to reassure his disciples. Yes, you're in the storm. You're being afflicted. You are full of fear. But take courage. It is I. Do not fear. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Maybe I tend to be the only one that is anxious in this room to worry about things that are probably unnecessary or to be so worried about too many things, not really knowing what you're even worrying about. And yet, we can take great comfort in Jesus' words here that as the disciples are in fear, as they are terrified, He tells them, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Take heart. It is I. Brother, sister, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, are we not told that He now indwells in you? That Christ is with you wherever you go? how often do we forget the simple truth that Christ is with us in our storms? And that He reassures us. Sometimes I I wonder if we read Psalm 23 as if the the shepherd that is with us in the valley is just, just some old shepherd instead of the good shepherd whose rod and staff comforts us and leads us and protects us. We see the purpose right here. The first purpose is to show His disciples that He is there there with them, to reassure them in the storm. Take heart. And what happens when Jesus says this? is it not true that the sheep know the shepherd's voice? Maybe it's not so crazy that Peter calls out to Jesus and says what he says. Peter goes, wait a second. I know that voice. I know my shepherd's voice. Jesus, Jesus, is that you out on the water? If that's you, Jesus... Call me out on the water. Call me out to you. And what does Jesus do? He tells Peter to come. We don't know how many steps Peter takes, but we know that Peter makes it to Jesus. He takes enough steps on the water to make it to Jesus. And as Peter is with Jesus, what are we told? What do we see in this passage? we see that Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts to sink. But what does Peter say? As Peter is sinking, before the, the water enters into his mouth and he can't speak, he musters up three words, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. to prepare for affliction i would say it would do you great goodness it would do you uh, it would it would do you so good to learn a three word prayer help me jesus help me jesus and what's the outcome when peter says lord save me Here's this word again. It's incredible. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Right? We don't see Jesus saying here, well, you know, Peter, if you would have just had more faith, then I would have reached down and I would have grabbed your hand sooner. So to help teach you a lesson, I'm going to let you sink just a little bit more. No, he doesn't say, well, let me first go quickly to the boat and take it under advisement with the other disciples to see if I should come and get you. And and in a week or so, I'll come back to get you. No, the passage says that Jesus immediately grabs Peter. He immediately grabs him and he pulls him up. He pulls him up. And as Jesus pulls Peter up, we don't see that Jesus starts to sink because of the weight of Peter. No, Jesus is able to firmly keep his feet on the water as if it is dry land. He pulls Peter up. And here's the the second purpose behind Jesus' plan. He is showing the disciples that he has come to save them when they call out to him. He has come to help them. Now, I don't know if you're here this morning with us and you know Jesus or not, or you believe that Jesus has saved you from your sins. You may be in a state thinking, my sins are far too heavy for Jesus. My sins are far too great of a burden for Jesus. Look at this passage. Look, as Jesus calls out to save, or as Peter calls out, Lord, save me, Jesus does not wait to save Peter. He saves him immediately. And the weight of Peter does not cause him to sink. Instead, he lifts Peter up. Oh, Jesus can do this to you this morning. Your sin is causing you to sink. And if you do not cry out for Jesus to save you, then you will be met with the depths of the wrath of God but it just takes a three letter word lord save me and he will save you he will rescue you from your sin christian look how jesus comes to the aids of his disciple he rescues his disciple And so far we've seen that the purpose of this is to reassure His disciples, to save His disciples. But we see one other great reason or purpose to show His disciples that He has divine authority even over the nature. Over the winds and the waves. As Him and Peter get into the boats, we read that the winds... Cease. The water is still. Immediately the winds go away. The disciples have seen Jesus have authority over nature by walking on water, by stepping into the boat, and the winds. And the waves obeying His commands. Why? The purpose of these three things to reassure, to save, and to show His divine authority is so that the disciples would better understand who He is. As He gets into the boat and this happens, they worshiped Him. Saying, truly, this, truly, you are the Son of God. What leads the disciples to worship Jesus? It's the greatness of Jesus, it's the bigness of Jesus. They recognize who Jesus is, that he is the divine, divinely appointed Son of God. He is the one who has authority over the winds, over the waves. They see how great He is. And this is what leads them to worship Him. It frustrates me when I hear Christians or teachers or pastors say you just need to have more faith. You just need to have more faith through your storm. You just need to have more faith, then you'll get this job. You just need to have more faith, and then your suffering will be easier. You just need to have more faith, more faith, more faith. It's wrong. Jesus says, even a the, the, faith the size of a mustard seed. He doesn't rebuke Peter because he has no faith. He says that Peter has little faith. That he started out with little faith and continued to have little faith. Why then did Peter start to sink? It's because Peter took his eyes off the object of his faith. It's not the amount of faith that you have, but the object of your faith. What is the object of your faith? Is the object of your faith more faith than when you meet trials of various kinds? It will be hard. But if you have faith in Jesus, your trials will be hard, but they will be worth it. So here's the question that we must ask ourselves, is Jesus big to you or is Jesus some type of life coach, a good moral example to follow? somebody who did some good things or a great prophet? Or do you see Jesus as the Son of God? The divinely appointed Messiah who has come to take away the sins. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here's the purpose of Jesus' plan. That His disciples would know who He is. That they would see His bigness, His greatness, His majesty, His dominion and authority. It's not the amount of faith that gets you through afflictions and trials, but the object of your faith. Look to Jesus. And Matthew at the end here shows us the continued proof that Jesus is who He says He is as they arrive to the other side. And as the people see Jesus, they somehow recognize Jesus, and they bring all those who are sick and, and they implore Him or they, they beg Him that if you just touch the fringe, just the fringe of, of your garment, Jesus, will be made well. And all who touches the, the fringe of His garment are made well. Not one who touched the fringe of His garment went away unsatisfied with the end result. We see the proof to what the disciples are saying. This right here is a turning point in this Gospel. In the lives of the disciples. Because after this, then we even see now Peter starting to understand more of who Jesus is. So as I conclude this morning, I want to give one caution and one encouragement. The caution. Come to Jesus for Jesus. Come to Jesus daily wanting more of Jesus. Come to Jesus asking that you would understand Him better why this is the caution just going to go to John and read a portion of what takes place after Jesus heals all of these people because if you come to Jesus not for Jesus this is what happens when they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because of because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set His seal. And then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do uh, do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our father ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me will never cast out. For as I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of Him who sent me, And as Jesus continues on, He challenges those who have come for bread and all of them leave. If you come to Jesus for something that Jesus can give you and not Jesus, then you will leave Him at some point. Come to Jesus for Jesus. Here's how I'd like to leave us this morning with this encouragement. Earlier I said, through the storm, the disciples understand who Jesus is. And I think that's the case for all of God's children. All God's children will experience affliction. boy, Max, that seems pretty bleak. I thought this was supposed to be encouragement. Here it is. All suffering has an expiration date. All suffering has an expiration date. And it may not seem like it right now, but it does. And so when the wind dies down, the clouds part, The waves stop rocking you back and forth and the sun comes out. Look to see how God was working. And then worship him. And then worship him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your divinely appointed son, Jesus. who is the Son of God, who is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.